Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. We're in the middle of a series. It's called Lead the Change. It forms our theme for the year. And when I say lead the change, if you're here and you're a guest, you don't come to church very often, or, or, or maybe you know you just don't ever quite identify yourself as a leader, just to let you know that you don't have to be a leader for this to be relevant to you. So when I talk about leadership, leadership is simply influence. And so one of the things that I think we need to recognize is that we have influence just as we do life with people. So you don't need to have a title. Uh, There's no official position that you need to have. You don't need to be a manager or a boss of anyone. If it's just maybe you and one friend, uh, you have influence on that one person. And so we need to really in so many ways be responsible for our influence because God has given us time, He's given us talent, He's given us treasure. And I think how we use those things is very, very important. Now, oftentimes what I feel God does is He put things in our, in our hearts and the tools and the resources that we have are those time, talents and treasure. And we use what we have to fulfill what's being put in our hearts. We want to outwork everything that God has put in. And so this series is really about doing that. It's about outworking what God is wanting to do on, on planet Earth. And when I talk about uh, leading the change, just so we're clear from the absolute get-go, this isn't about uh, uh, you know, leading change in, in society and culture just without thoughts and ideas around social justice. I really am talking about being a kingdom-minded, uh, spiritually-filled person that changes the world around them in, in the kingdom way. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, so I want to begin by uh, uh, sharing a story with you guys today. And it's actually kind of a sad story. In fact, to be honest, it's probably one of the saddest stories I have. Uh, Pastor Sarah and I, many years ago, we went to a conference. It was a uh, church conference and we had such a great time. And we were so uh, encouraged and we left that conference uh, feeling like, come on, we want to be world changers. We want to make a difference on planet Earth. We, we, we recognize that we've been called and, and, and gifted and graced to do it. And, and so, you know, we were hungry for change. And in fact, we were really hungry. We were so hungry on the way home, we decided to stop past Macca's, um, you know, because we didn't really get any dinner. So, so we stopped at Macca's on the way home and we, we pulled in and uh, um, we were sitting down and eating our food. And as we were starting to eat, there was this sort of commotion that was happening over where the restrooms were. And, and I looked up and I could just see that there was a, a, a mum who was helping her disabled daughter. And uh, she was quite disabled, but we couldn't really quite tell what was going on. But it was very obvious that she required a lot of uh, effort and attention. And so she was trying to help her through the doorway. And she'd already done that by the time we sort of saw what was happening. And she was trying to walk her through the restaurant and they were leaving. And as she walked past our table, I looked at her and her, she looked at me and our eyes locked and we had this moment. And she said to me, what am I supposed to do? And it wasn't like for that exact moment. It was such a bigger question. She was saying, I don't know how to handle this. I don't know what to do. How am I supposed to help my daughter? And I looked at her. You might find this hard to believe, but I was speechless. I, had, I didn't know what to say. 
I didn't know how to handle the situation. And I, and I watched them leave and I felt terrible. I felt like, like maybe I'd missed an opportunity. And I said to Sarah, I said, what? I said, what? We, we, maybe we could have done something. I don't know what we could have done, but come on, we're Christians, right? I mean, geez, the least I could have do, done was pray for this person that, that needed help. I, I don't know what help I could have offered, but I didn't even ask the question. In fact, I was so caught by this moment, so struck by it, and felt terrible about what I had not done that I didn't even feel that hungry anymore. And I, I thought, I, I'm going to have to try to make this right. So I, I left the restaurant. Now, here's the weird part. Like I left and it felt like just moments after they had gone through the exit doors and I went into the car park and I couldn't see them. And, and I, I didn't just leave it there. I walked into the car park. I hunted around the car park. Is there a way that I can help these people? And, and I couldn't find them. And, and I was kind of a little bit devastated on the inside. So I came back and I, I sat down. Uh, you know, with Sarah, and I looked, and Sarah's reading this T-shirt, and it said, "Be the change you want to see in the world." And I realized that we had the T-shirt, but we missed the opportunity. And I felt terrible about that. And I thought, if I ever get the opportunity again, I'll never miss it. God, I want to see every opportunity. If there's a way for me to help people, I don't know what it is, but if, there, if there's a way for me to reach out and help people and, and pray or at least ask the question, then I'm going to do it. I'm going to take advantage of every opportunity. See, when you're looking for opportunities, you see them everywhere. You see them when you really know what you're looking for. Have you ever noticed that when you are looking for something, it's easier to find? Like, let me give you an example. Let's imagine that you have decided that you want to buy a new car. And so you're trying to think through the kind of cars that you want. And let's say, for example, that you settle on buying a red Mazda 6. That's what you want. You think it's a great car and that's what you want to buy. And then the most amazing thing happens. You're driving around and suddenly there they are. And you're seeing them everywhere. Red Mazda, red Mazda, red Mazda. You, you're thinking to yourself, this is from the Lord. He is directly telling me that I need to buy a new car. And maybe some of you have done that. You've gone out and you've bought that car because you saw them everywhere. I, I don't want to burst your bubble, but I do want to tell you, that's actually not always God. In fact, there is this phenomenon that people call the beta meinhof phenomenon or, or, or the frequency phenomenon. This is how it works. When you suddenly become aware of something, something that you're interested in, you see it everywhere. Now, here's the interesting part. This happens to people all the time. What you are seeing is not actually increasing in its frequency. The moment that you became interested in Red Mazdas, a fleet was not released onto the streets of Victoria for you to witness it as a sign from God that that is the car that you're supposed to buy. No, no, no. What's happening is you're seeing something that's been there the whole time. You're just noticing it now. And this happens to people all the time. When we know what we're looking for, we can start to notice and see it more. Now, here's the thing. Every day you are confronted by things in the world that need to change. And if you don't notice it, you won't see the opportunities to engage in it. See, one of the things I've realised about bringing change is that you need to see the change before you can be the change. 
You can't change something you don't understand exists. You need to see it first in order to do something about it. You need to become aware of it. And I've learned that you will never change the world around you until you change your mind. It's your mind that shifts and then begins to see opportunities all around you. They're not actually increasing. You just now know what you're looking for. So you've changed your thought patterns. And because you're thinking differently, now you can see differently, which positions you to do something differently. You know, as human beings, we, we have this strange way of behaving where we cannot see things that are right in front of our faces. This is uh, one of the human behaviors that you, you might see, and I've spoken about this before, is, is this thing called social proof. Social proof works like this. Is that, let's say you were in a situation where there was a, a very dangerous circumstance. You're in a dangerous situation and it's very obvious to you that something terrible is either happening or about to take place. And you see it, but then as you look around, all the people around you begin to ignore what's going on. So even though you see something that in your right mind you would say, we have to act now, as you look around and nobody moves, it has this power to override what you're telling yourself. And this is the thought that you have. You think, well, these people obviously know something I don't. And if they're not worried, then I shouldn't be worried either. So you look for proof among other people to see if they're moving and if they're moving, you'll move. And if they stay, you'll stay. This is a serious problem when the call to Christian people is to lead the change. Because if you're supposed to lead the change in culture and society and social clubs and sporting clubs and networks, you can't afford to wait for other people to do something that triggers your response. You're, you're supposed to act first. You're supposed to be the person that leads that change. Now you've been given time, talent and treasure and you're supposed to use those things to bring about that change. And when you see something that needs to be done, you take the resource that's been allocated to you, whatever that may be, and you use it to bring about that change. Now, wouldn't it be great if life was that simple? that when you see something that's wrong, you just step into action and you, and you do something about it. But here's the thing. I've learned that people can ignore what they know is right and we can do it so easily. And I wanna to read to you a scripture where this exact thing happens. It's out of Galatians chapter two in verse 11. The person that's writing this is the apostle Paul and he says, but when I saw Cephas, who is Peter, when I saw Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Now, in all honesty, I can understand why he would be fearing the circumcision party because let's be honest, if that's what you call yourself, that sounds like a group you should be afraid of. What we need to understand about that though 
is that they were very connected to Old Testament covenants. And so that was something that was very important to them. And Paul refers to them as the circumcision party. So in verse 13, it says, And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Now you should just underline that in your Bible right now. When things are not in step with the truth of the gospel, there's, there's an indicator to you as it was to Paul. He goes on to say, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Sometimes the path you choose comes from the pressure you face. It's not that you don't know what's right and you don't know what's wrong, but oftentimes people want to take the path of least resistance. They want peace. And so because of that, they do what they know is not right so that they don't draw attention to themselves. Now, this, this is a major challenge. This is a serious problem. I don't know if you have ever pretended to be something you were not, to impress people that you didn't need to impress. If you've ever tried to just make sure that people accepted you and you just want to fit in like the rest of everyone and not be noticed or not stand out. Have you ever tried to be something that you were not to impress people that you didn't need to impress? Man, I've done that. In fact, I remember when I was in high school, it's funny how fashion changes over time because now everyone wears pants that have their skinny jeans, you know? But when I was growing up, it was the exact opposite. In fact, the things that people liked were these jeans that were so fat, they were so big. In fact, I'll tell you what they were called. They were called cross colors. Does anybody remember that? A few people, yeah? They were called cross colored jeans. These things were so big, right? You could probably fit about three or four people in them. And, and so they, the, the legs were so wide that when you would walk, you couldn't even see people's knees moving because the pants were so wide that all the work was done on the inside. It just looked like you hovered everywhere that you went. People are just moving around like they're on a conveyor belt. Their legs are going, you just can't see it. Well, anyway, I thought that's a cool pair of pants and I'd like to get that. What do I really want? Well, you know, I want to be socially accepted. I want to fit in. So I got a pair of pants and I put them on and I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm the kind of guy that can pull these off, you know? And, and, and so anyway, I wore them one day and, and, and I wore them and I felt so uncomfortable in it. I thought, to be honest, there was this voice in the back of my head. You should pay attention to it sometimes. It says, you look ridiculous and I knew it, right? But I wore them anyway because I wanted to be accepted and it's amazing what people will do to be accepted by their peers, you know? They just don't want to draw attention to themselves. They want to be accepted by their peers. Can I tell you that if you're a teenager, please don't make the mistake that I did. 
and make decisions that in the back of your head, you know that they're not right. They go against what you've been taught. They go against what you've understood to be true about life and in and the truth of the gospel. But in your effort to make people like you, because that's what you want the most, you can make really bad decisions. Please, to everyone, but teenagers especially, because I think they're particularly susceptible to this. Don't drop your values to impress people you don't need to impress. You don't actually need everyone's validation. You know what I think is crazy? I think it's, I think it's crazy how people work so hard to impress their peers, but the God who created them and the universe around them is just willing to accept people as they are. Don't you think that's odd? That the one whose opinion matters the most is the one person that we often are not trying to impress. You know, we're more concerned about what other people think. You know, on that point, let me say this. If you're new to church and you think that you do need to impress God, you don't. You don't need to dress up on the outside and make it look like you've got it all together to increase the chances of God loving you. God loves you the way you are. He loves you enough not to leave you the way that you are. Don't get me wrong. Jesus wants to change you from the inside out, but you can come to Him as you are. Please don't wait till you're perfect before you come to Him because you'll never do it. You come as you are. And that's what the gospel of Jesus is all about. That's why He died on the cross for our sins. Because he already knows the mistakes. He sees everything about you. And he says, you know what? I love you the way that you are. In fact, this is something we need to know is that God just loves people. God loves everyone. Now, the person that should have understood this the most was Peter. Peter should have understood better than anyone that God loves everybody, not just specific groups of people because he had an encounter with God over it on a rooftop one day. Peter had an encounter with God and he suddenly realised that when Jesus died on the cross for sins, he was died for the sins of the whole world, every people group across planet earth, that it wasn't meant to be something that was reserved specifically for Jewish people. Now, all the other people that weren't Jewish, we called them Gentiles. And Peter understood and should have understood more than anyone else that Jesus died for Gentiles, which is why what he does here is so strange. He knew that God loved these people. And so he spent time with them until he decided that he needed to impress his peers. And so these people come up from James. Remember the circumcision party? They came up and suddenly when he saw them coming and he, and he realised who they were, he stepped back from connecting with all the Gentile people and he just started to become exclusive and spend time with the Jewish people. Thank God Paul was there to say, what are you doing? Don't you realise how hypocritical that is? Peter, you know what the right thing is to do. And yet here you are doing the wrong thing. Why are you doing it? Well, I'll tell you why. Because Peter was chasing popularity over morality. I, I think it was a completely immoral decision to pull back from all of them and create segregation. In fact, he had the opportunity right then at this moment to change the world that was around him by acting in a way that was consistent with what he knew to be true. He could have changed everything in that moment. 
See, we, we see people groups being divided and segregated. What would we call that today? I think what would have happened then is that Peter had the opportunity to stop racist segregation from creeping into the church and he missed the opportunity because he was preoccupied and concerned with all the wrong stuff. He was too concerned about what people thought. The right people anyway in his mind. You know, when I pray for my kids, I pray for them Every night I say a lot of the same things. And if you're a parent, you'll totally get this. We often say things that we want them to hear. It's kind of like our wish list. God, let them make their beds, you know, whatever. So you, you, start, you start embedding things into the prayers that you know they need to work on. Anyway, I don't, I don't actually say that, but, but I'll tell you some of the things that I do say, right? So one of the things that I say every time when I pray for my kids is I say, God, let these kids be Bold and courageous. I've been praying that since they were young. After about 12 months of, of praying this prayer, Lord, let them be bold and courageous. My son Isaac, he stopped me mid-prayer. He said, Dad, can I ask you a question? I said, yes. He said, why do you pray for us to be bold? I said, what? I said, every night you keep saying, let us be bold, Right? And not that there's anything wrong with it, but it's a legitimate question. If your dad's always saying, please be bold, please be bold. God bless him. He waited 12 months of listening to me say, you know, in his mind, bold and courageous, right? Before he actually asked me about it, right? I said, I'm not praying for you to be bold. I don't, I don't care about that. I'm praying for you to be bold, mate, you know? And so I say, Lord, let them be bold and courageous. I pray this prayer every night because I want them to be bold and courageous. Courage works in the face of fear. So I know that not everything's going to be perfect for them in life, but I want them to be who they are. Then I follow it up with this other thing where I say, God, no matter what happens in life, whatever choices their friends make, I pray that they choose you every time, that they always do what they know is right in their hearts, that they don't chase after whatever their friends say, that whenever their friends are going in a different different direction to you, I pray that they leave their friends where they are and they chase after you. And I pray this every single night for my kids because I know what life is like. I want to make sure that as my kids grow up, that they're always chasing after the right things and not trying to win the uh, approval of other people. Gosh, that's a difficult job, isn't it? Trying to win the approval of people today. Like you, you, by the way, you can't because everyone's got a different opinion on how things should be. It probably doesn't escape you that our world has gone insane with political correctness. There's so many things that you can't say, you can't think, you know. And, and if you disagree with a certain group of people, you're this and you're that and you, you, you can't even disagree. It's outrageous, the state of things. Company policies that say you have to embrace our values and if you don't, you're fired. And if you're not fired, we'll find out who you are because you don't support what we believe and you will become segregated and we'll keep you separate. And what are they doing? They're using the pressure of your peers to rail you and company policies to rail you in a certain direction. Lay down your values and embrace what we tell you you should embrace. When have companies ever had the right to tell people what they should believe is true about God? It's everybody's getting involved in all of this. And I think, to be honest, I, I think it's completely outrageous. 
And boy, what a difficult thing for people today. What a difficult thing it is to be able to be truly honest and stay in step with the gospel and to be who you are and to be honest and transparent about who you are in a world that is so hostile to what we believe. And yet this is the very thing that we're supposed to be doing. If you answer the call that Jesus gave before He ascended to the Father, the call was really for us to make disciples of nations. That, that talks to me about leading a certain type of change. We need to preach the good news to all creation. Gosh, this message is so good. It is absolutely worth listening to. I just want people to know the love of Jesus. I just want them to know how amazing He is. And I don't want them to get fed what the media is telling them. They need to get how good this really is. You know what I think? I think that if people knew what we really believed, they would love it. Okay, we don't have to agree with everyone. I'm sure I understand that there's some disagreement there, but this is an outrageously positive and encouraging message. And it's becoming increasingly difficult to look for opportunities to share it. Well, Paul the Apostle, he knew how important it was for him to be able to share that message. In fact, he says many times, this is my job on planet Earth. I am called to go out and do this very thing. And Paul would constantly need to share what he believes in environments that were hostile to what he believed. How did he do it? Well, I want to give you a little bit of strategy here today because I think that this is so helpful. Paul says this, I became all things to all people in order that I might win some. Let me, let me read the whole thing to you. It comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And in verse 19, Paul says this, For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became not a Jew. He says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Here's what Paul is doing. He is not saying that I embrace everyone's ideologies, values and belief, and I mimic and become exactly who they are. He's saying to people, when I'm trying to connect with them, I often become as one, though not being one. I stay who I, are, who I am. I hold on to my core convictions and core values, but here's what I'm gonna do. I'm going to find a place where we've got something in common. Because Paul understands that if you try to tell people what you believe and you've got no relational currency, they don't always receive it really well. So Paul says, well, you know, to the Jews, I became as a Jew. And after a while, I found that there was an opportunity once they understood my heart and who I was and, 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 and what I, you know, who I am as a person and how kind and generous I am. And once I had been a really great witness for Christ, I actually decided to tell them about Christ. And he repeats it over and over and over again. In fact, he does it in all these different cultures. He finds a place where they've got something in common and then he tells them what he believes in. 
John Maxwell said this, he says, when reaching people, find the 1% of things that you agree on and start there. See, when, when you're trying to reach people, if all you ever see is all the stuff you disagree on, you'll never see the opportunity to connect with them. You'll never see the opportunity to actually lead them the way that you know in your heart that God wants to lead them. You gotta find something that you agree on. And it's amazing. When you start to look for things that you can agree on, you discover that those things are everywhere. You'll discover that there is an increase of opportunities everywhere. Now what's happening? This is the beta meinhof phenomenon. Before it felt like there was no opportunity. Now you are seeing opportunities that have always been there. You're just becoming aware of them. So about 12 months ago, I went to a roller rink. Didn't actually, oh no, I did rollerblade that day. I did, I had some skills. And, and so I, I went there and there was just me and my boys. And, and so the, the owner of the roller rink, I, I began chatting to him and I was absolutely certain that this man did, believed in a completely different God to me. That, that was okay because even though that he was a completely different person, I started to speak to him about his family. Well, he's got kids and, and I've got kids. And boy, we had so much in common after that. You know, we talked about the challenges of raising kids and running a business and the pressure of time and how do you manage life and balance things in your, in your marriage and your life. And we, we just had so much that we could talk about. I, I said to him at the end of our, our time when we were leaving, I said, listen, would it be okay if I prayed for you in, in Jesus' name? I wanna pray that God blesses your business. Would that be okay with you? He said, gosh, that would be be so great. So I said, is it all right if I lay my hands on you? Yes, that's okay too. I said, all right. So I began to pray for him that God would bless his business. And that was the end of it. I didn't actually lead him to Jesus in that exact moment. I prayed for him and I left. Well, I was just there recently and I saw him and I thought, this guy's not going to remember who I am. So I didn't say anything about it. And I just said, oh, hello. And then later on, he was around where we were seated and he was wiping down a table I said, I don't know if you remember me, but, and before I could finish the sentence, he goes, of course I remember you. You were that person that came for me and prayed, prayed that God would bless my business. And I just wanted to tell you that, you know, God has blessed my business. Man, it's so good. And things that just have been going so well for me. I was so encouraged. Now I didn't lead him to Jesus in that exact moment. What I did is just tell him how much God loves him and cares about him. Now, I don't know what he believes about God, but I know that now he, he knows a little bit more about my God than he did before. Man, you start to look for opportunities. You can see them everywhere. The night that I heard that thing that John Maxwell said, I was at a conference in, in Alabama and when they said that they had John Maxwell to speak, I got ready to take down some leadership notes because he's very well known for doing that. And John Maxwell went on from the beginning of that message to say basically everything he's ever done has simply been to reach people with the gospel. He's used leadership as a way to, to do that. And, and he began to talk to us about the importance of investing yourself into eternal things. I'm telling you, by the end of that message, I thought I was going to get a leadership session. By the end of the message, everyone's crying. They got tears in their eyes and, and the whole place was moved. Boy, I was so stirred up that night. I went back to my hotel and, and I was praying for our church and, and 
and what we should do and we've got to reach people. And, and as I'm praying, I, I realized and it, it occurred to me that from that hotel room, good as that prayer was, I wasn't going to reach anyone from there. If I was going to reach somebody, I didn't just need to pray to Jesus for it. I needed to get out and actually do something about it. So I decided that what I was going to do is, is leave the hotel room. It was, it was late at night, but the, the bar downstairs was still open. And I, I went downstairs to the bar and, and I sat there up at the seat and, and I'm looking around at all the people that are there and I'm saying, God, who will I lead to Jesus tonight? You know, this is what I'm praying. I'm, I'm asking, but I'm just sitting there. So on the, on the surface, I just look like I'm there to relax and have a drink, but I got a purpose. And so the guy sitting next to me, he hears me order my drink. He said, are you Australian? I said, I am. He said, oh, I'm just watching the, the hockey on TV. You know, the Australian team is playing. I said, oh yeah, great. So we, we started talking a little bit and I said to him, um, so what exactly are you doing here? He said, well, I'm a traveling salesperson. I said, are you? He said, yeah. I said, well, what's your job like? Like, why are you here today? He said, well, although I'm a traveling salesperson, I actually train teams how to sell. So my job is to go around to different teams and teach them about selling techniques and how they can be more convincing with their speech and what they say. I train salespeople. I said, you must be amazing at your job. He says, I'm very good at my job. I said, wow. I said, tell me this. What do you actually sell? He said, I sell life insurance. I said, do you? He said, yes. I said, that is incredible. We have the same job. He said, that's amazing. What do you do? I said, I'm a pastor of a church. He said, that was clever. <laughs> I said, yes, it was. He said, I don't really want to talk to you about God because I'm such a good salesperson that I feel if I was to question anybody about their faith, I'm so good at it that I would just talk people out of their faith. And I know that they're well-intended and I, I don't want to be responsible for talking people out of their faith. I said, oh my gosh, you are so lucky. He said, why am I lucky? I said, life has afforded you an opportunity that you may not get again. See, I'm so convinced of what I believe that you could never talk me out of it. So now you have the opportunity to ask every difficult question you've ever thought about the Bible or God, and I will be able to answer it. And you can do it fear-free, knowing that you'll never talk me out of what I believe. He said, okay. So we began to speak about it. Gosh, we talked for a long time. Now, the whole time that we're talking, I, I'm sharing the gospel and, and answering his questions. And, and, and the whole time I'm talking, now you've got to forgive me for this next part, but I want to paint the picture for you. We're speaking and across the other side of the bar is this hot chick that keeps making eyes at this guy because she wants to go outside for a smoke. Now, the, the thing is, why would he want to spend time with a hot chick that's interested in him when he could talk to me? <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. He ignored her for, I don't know, it must have been like 90 minutes to two hours, ignored her, wanted nothing to do with her because we were having a talk about God. We talked about God for so long. And at the end of the conversation, he said, that is the best conversation I have ever had. He says, I can't remember the last time I had such a good conversation. And, and you know, at that moment, he actually had to leave and go. And I didn't lead him to Jesus in that moment. 
But I think what happened is I took him from wherever he was on the scale of things, maybe say he was a, a minus eight or a minus nine, and I reckon I moved him all the way up to like maybe a minus one or a minus two. Now, that, that was the job that I had, and that's what I did. And here's what I don't know. I don't know that the next week what he decided to do as a result of having heard what I said, I, I don't know that he didn't walk straight into a church, hear the gospel and give his life to Jesus. And, and there's every chance that that could have happened after that. And you know what? That, that pastor, there'd probably be some pastor in some church somewhere that, that, you know, preaches the gospel. This guy, he gives his life to Jesus and that pastor goes, gosh, I preached so good today. No, I did in the bar. It wasn't you. It was me. I'm the one that got him all that. You just did the end bit. And you know exactly how this is because you're sharing the gospel with your friends and your family. You bring them into church. I preach a message. Hands go up. I'm like, gosh, I preached a good message. No, I didn't. You've been working on them for five years. You brought them to church. There was an opportunity that presented itself and they gave their lives to Jesus. Now, here's the point. No one cares who gets them there because we all want the same thing, right? We all want people to know this outrageously positive and encouraging gospel message. And it's not about credit or who gets it or who had the moment. It's all about reaching as many people as we can. You start to look for opportunities, you see them everywhere. Man, it was like a month ago, we were in Ikea. Stop it, Siri. I was in Ikea and um, gosh, there was so much work after that visit to Ikea for, for like weeks I was building stuff. And, and so anyway, we, we were in Ikea and I was trying to leave, but you know, it's Ikea, right? So I'm walking down the stairs and I see this man trying to walk up the stairs. Now I'm pretty certain that he, I know he doesn't believe in the God that I believe in. I'm pretty certain he's Muslim. He's walking up the stairs and, and he's having so much trouble doing it. It's like holding his leg and I can see he's in pain. And people are just walking around this guy, you know, like a, like a rock in a river. They're just streaming around him. I stopped and I said, oh, my, wow. I said, hey, are you okay? He said, oh, I'm in so much pain. I said, hey, wh what happened? What happened to you? Now, remember, like, we may not have a lot in common. I don't know, but I'm not going to miss another opportunity. So I said, what happened to you? He told me about his leg and he told me that it was uh, really sore and he had a condition and he was trying to get through it and it was just difficult. And I said, oh, wow. I said, I'm so sorry to hear that. And I can see that you're in pain. Can I help you? Can I hold you and help you up the stairs? He said, yes. I said, look, I'd, I'd really like to help you. What if I do this? Would it be okay with you if I was to pray for God to heal you? He said, what? I said, yeah, I believe that Jesus is able to heal you. I want to be really clear that I'm talking about Jesus, not some other God, but Jesus. And I said to him, would it be all right if I pray for you in Jesus' name? He said, yes, absolutely. I said, could I, could I pray for you um, in Jesus' name and, and lay my hands on you? That's the way I like to do it. He said, absolutely, please pray for me. So I lay my hands on him and I begin to pray for him and we open our eyes I say, in Jesus' name, amen. I open my eyes and there's people everywhere. They're just looking at us, you know? And, and, and they're like, what is going on here? And I'm, I'm feeling like, well, I was just praying for this man to be healed in Jesus' name. And they're like, what are you doing? I said, well, this man is injured. I'm, I'm actually trying to help him to the top of the stairs. Well, there's a few of them there. And they look at me and they said, why don't you just use that lift right there? I felt like such an idiot. 
I'm so caught up in trying to lead this person to Jesus, I didn't realize the obvious lift. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard the term elevator pitch, but boy, did I have to embody that right then in that moment. I got about 10 steps to to teach him all about the gospel as much as I can. And then he goes in the lift and it's weird if I keep following him after that. So so, so I I do, I I share it with him. Now, I, I don't know what that man thinks about the God that I serve, but he met me. And, 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 if, and if I am kind and gracious and, and loving and want to help him, that must be a reflection on the God that I serve, especially if I start to pray in Jesus' name that Jesus would heal him. See, you see what I'm saying? You could just see differences. You could just see people that are different. Or you can look at it totally differently. And you say, there's something here that we agree on. Find a place of common ground. Find the 1% of things that you agree on and start to move forwards from there. Can I tell you that everyone, everyone has a sphere of influence. Have you ever heard this thing that people say? They say, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You ever heard that? It actually comes from this idea that you will become the average of your five closest friends. The idea is, is that you should maybe rethink about who your five closest friends are. If you don't like any of them, you're becoming more like them. That's the whole idea of the thing. Now, it's, it's actually not exactly true. In fact, it's so much more significant than I ever thought because people started to do research about this to understand how influence works. Here's what they discovered. What we now know is that influence it actually moves through people. So it's not just the people in your immediate vicinity that you have an effect on. You have an effect on their friends and you even have an effect on their friends' friends because influence moves through people. So they did big studies on this. How about this? If you have a friend that smokes, you are 61% more likely to become a smoker yourself. If you have a friend of a friend that smokes, then that drops to 29%. You are 29% more likely to become a smoker. And if you have a friend of a friend of a friend that smokes, that drops down to be about 11%. There's an 11% chance that you'll become a smoker because influence moves through people. Happens with happiness too. Like if you have a friend that's happy, you're more likely to be happy as well. But happiness moves through people. In fact, they discovered that if you had a friend of a friend that was happy, you yourself, your own happiness would increase by 6%. You say 6%, that doesn't sound like a lot, but it is when it comes to happiness. Because when they were trying to figure out how to make people more happy, they decided that money would be the thing to do. So they gave people gifts of $10,000 to measure if it increased their happiness. Do you know that with a $10,000 gift, people's happiness increased by 2%, but if they had a friend of a friend who was happy, it increased by 6%. That's the power of influence. That's the power of it. And it moves through people. You, you, you got to understand you have an effect on the people around you and the people around them and the people around them. Now, see, when you get a when you have a passion for God that exceeds your fear of people and their opinions, now you're free to change the world. Otherwise, you feel like you're hemmed in, path of least resistance. You're concerned with all the wrong things. Even though you know the right thing, the pressure 
of perspective, other people's perspective of you and opinions of you, it, it, it can rail you into the wrong area, make you choose the wrong path. But when you have a passion for God that exceeds people, you're free to change the world. And then what looked like a closed door, suddenly you realise is open. When you become free from this and you start to really live for God and, and, and it's all about Him and what He wants to do on planet Earth through you, using your time, using your talents, using your treasure, when you understand that, you suddenly realise there are opportunities all the way around you. They've always been there, but now you're thinking differently. So you're seeing things that you haven't seen before. You need to see the change before you can be the change. Because you can't change something that you're not aware of. You can't change something you don't see. And I wonder, what do you see? Can you see a better change in somebody's life? Do you you have a vision for it? Can you you see a better world? Can you see a, a better friendship? Can you see a better work environment? Can you see a better sports club that if you were going to be you and, and, and you connected with people and told them about Jesus, do you even have vision for it? Can you see what God might want to do in the sphere of influence that you have all around you? Or do you allow the fear of other people's perspectives and opinions to begin to shut you down, steer you on an off-ramp that takes you towards a different destiny. You know, when Walt Disney went to executives and he told them that he wanted to do this cartoon, you know, we know this very first cartoon that Walt Disney made. Have you seen it with Mickey Mouse on on the boat, right? He pitches this idea to all these executives and they said, You're insane. A six foot mouse, this will never take off. People will be horrified. Children will run out of the theatres screaming and covering their eyes. He said, I think you're wrong about that. And he didn't allow that all of their fears and their worries and their opinions and their perspectives to shut down what he knew he wanted to do. He actually went ahead and did it. And I'm telling you, that company has changed the world that we live in. It was more significant, I think, maybe even than Walt Disney ever knew because he stayed true to his convictions. Have you ever gone to a restaurant, one of those restaurants where they, they serve a very small meal on a very large plate and you paid three times as much as you would have if you had gone anywhere else and you just paid so much for it, right? And when you left, now you were hungry, so you went and got Maccas on the way home because it wasn't enough. <laughs> this world constantly serves you small meals hoping that you'll be satisfied. Small meal of just, hey, just, just have a good job and a peaceful life and that's enough, please. Please be hungry for more because you were made for it. Please don't be so easily satisfied with what you see in the small meals that the world offers you. You've got to think bigger than that. Don't think so short term. Start to look at life with eternity in mind. Start to see something maybe even that's beyond your own life and your own experience. You know, when the tragic events of September 11 happened, There was a journalist that was live on television and there was paper just covering the streets. 
and she reached down, she grabbed one piece of paper, she held it up, it had a company logo on it. And she said, yesterday, this meant the world to someone and today it's meaningless. And it wasn't until something dramatic happened before people realized that they were just in the pursuit of stuff that now in the grand scheme of life, death and eternity, it was meaningless. Don't spend your life in the constant pursuit of things that are meaningless when God has so much more for you to do. I'm not telling you that what you need to do from here is quit your job and go be a missionary in some far off country. Maybe you wanna do that. I'm, I'm not saying you need to do that because the truth is we need people everywhere. We need builders, we need doctors, we need lawyers, we need teachers, we need tradespeople, we need people to be everywhere. Just stay where you are, but be that kingdom influence in the world that's around you. Be who you need to be. Be who God created you to be. Understand what's truly meaningful in life and then spend all of your pursuits and your time and your energy and your passion on it. In fact, you know what? If you put on the lens of eternity, you might see this is exactly the kind of thing that Jesus told us to do. I wanna read one more Scripture to you and then I'm done. This is out of the message version. I just like the way it said it. The first in importance is... Listen, Israel, the Lord your God is one. So love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy. Man, isn't that good? Give Him everything, your passion, your prayer, your intelligence, your energy, your time, your talents, your treasure. Give, him, give it all to Him. And here is the second, love others as well as you love yourself. There is no other commandment that ranks with these. He actually said in that, that, that exact Scripture is telling us what are the truly meaningful things in life. This is what it's all about. This is why God has asked us to lead change in the culture because most people are in the pursuit of things that in the grand scheme of things, they're meaningless. But this stuff, this is, this is important. This is eternity that we're talking about here. Here's, here's what you need to know as I finish. You have been given by God a sphere of influence. Use it to change the world that's around you. I know we talk about wanting to change the world, the whole world out there. No, this is what I'm telling you to do just now. Change the world around you because you'll never change the world until you change your world. You get that? I want to pray for you. Why don't you stand to your feet up? Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.